welcome guys um, to episode six. Yeah, maybe. Of series two yeah. of Love Slavers Watched. How are you all? Are you all good? That's good. I'm going to assume everyone is fine. Yeah, so this week, on a slightly lighter note than last week, um, <laughs> yeah. we are discussing everybody's favourite romantic comedy sub-genre. Princess movies. Princess movies. <laughs> and this was literally just something we wanted to do anyway, but it's actually turned out to be very topical given mm. that this week it was announced that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry are marrying. And she yeah. is an American marrying a European prince, which is basically the plot of the <laughs> all these films. So yeah, you know, she's yeah. like living the plot of a living know, the literal dream romantic comedy. Yeah. Of an American becoming a princess. Yeah. And we were obviously going on about how she's going to shake up the monarchy and how she's going to give them uh, give them some new life blah 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 which is exactly what happens in, all, in the all the films we're going to discuss yeah so if you watch any of those movies you already know exactly what's going to happen like yeah. the american comes in people disapprove of her then in the end she marries the prince and we're great yeah, yeah funnily enough i can't think of one film where it's been a american man coming into a european monarchy well i guess no mm. only in the film that i was going to mention like <laughs> mysterious <laughs> I can think of one example which I will come to later it's we'll come to it um, oh yeah of course yeah. but so essentially to get started um, so we're going to talk about starting with A Christmas Prince essentially which is a new film which came out on Netflix about a week ago I think about a week ago yeah and you should have seen it if you use Netflix because it seems to, it's, it's honestly full disclosure it's awful but it is on the front page of Netflix as far as I've seen yeah so they're promoting it big time as their you know Netflix original Christmas film mm. and you think of Netflix original what do you think of <laughs> you think of high quality like golden age of television type stuff right yeah um, and this is not in that ballpark it's yeah. not even trying to be well, it's like it's like a lifetime hallmark exactly the kind of thing the American audiences might watch for us, I think this kind of stuff in us in Britain, at least, you know, kind of weird pseudo English monarchies that are set in Europe, but kind of meant to be basically a parallel to the English British royals, kind of seems a bit um, dull, I think. But to I know to the American market, it's really popular, as yeah, the Meghan Markle story shows. I think so. Helena and I are both big fans of romantic comedies. And yes. Also, both big fans of this weird subgenre, like you know, and we are also big fans of movies that are so bad that they're good. We have plenty of those that we know. So that's what we kind of thought this film was going to be, and like we watched the trailer and we were like, "This is super weird," but let's like let's do it, let's watch it. Yeah, and... we'll enjoy it. Like *A Princess of Christmas*. Yeah. We sat down. Another film which is very very similar. Like, mm. in, I mean, all these films are quite similar, as we will you know, yes. go into. But *Princess of Christmas* is so bad, it's good. Yes, absolutely. *A Christmas Prince*, unfortunately, was disappointing in that yeah. it was bad. And I know you're saying to yourself, "Okay, then why am I listening to a podcast yeah. about it?" But wait, keep listening. It's going to be good. So, that's basically what we're talking about today, and we're also going to be talking, kind of comparing A Christmas Prince, as we said, A Christmas of a, prin- a Princess for Christmas. So, this is going to get very confusing, <laughs> because all the titles are very similar. They are, but A Christmas Prince is our main focus. Mm. A Princess for Christmas, um, which stars Katie McGrath from, from Merlin, Merlin, and also Jurassic World, if you haven't watched Merlin, which yeah. most people probably <laughs> have. And then yeah. Sam Hewen, a la Outlander, as we know. Yeah, which um, is a big draw for most people. Like, that's basically how we discovered that. That's film. why we watched yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we're also going to talk about A Prince and Me, which is a bit older, and it's got Julia, Julia Stiles. Stiles. So immediately you think, Julia Stiles, 10 Things I Hate About You. Like, this must be a good film. Mm-mm. You are wrong. <laughs> you are wrong. <laughs> there are elements of it that are enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we're going to also kind of round off the discussion with um, A Princess Diaries 2. Not one, because that's a wholly different film to Princess yeah, Diaries 2. Yeah. I mean, 
we will come to this, but like I definitely prefer the first film. Obviously. Oh yeah, but but the second one fits more in with the genre that we're talking about. Yeah, um, and with the kind of tropes that are present in all of these films, yeah. that should make them all enjoyable and good and do for three of them. But unfortunately, not the other Christmas one, no. Prince. Oh so, man! To start with, we thought we'd kind of discuss a bit like the origins of the genre, which is mm. very specific. I it mean, is, and yet somehow quite widespread, and mm. also links to the kind of genre of just Americans coming to Europe and having a great time. Like you know, there's an Amanda Bynes film, What a Girl Wants. Oh, and Passport to Paris yeah. as well. Actually, All the Mary Kate and Ashley. Mary Kate and Ashley, but yeah, yeah. Um, and so perhaps one of the first films that, like, I think it is really the first film that fits into the genre is um, uh, Roman Holiday, mm. which has Audrey Hepburn, I think, in her, like, first movie. And she plays this, like, European princess. I think they don't specify where, where she's Vague from. Vague European yeah, yeah, princess. Which is a common theme in, the, in these movies. Um, who's in Rome. She's very bored and she decides to run away and, like, have an adventure. Mm. And she meets Gregory Peck, mm. um, who is kind of suave American journalist, which again is a big trope of these films, as we will <laughs> There's often journalists involved. Um, and they have this like really sweet kind of romance for the day. And then obviously like at the end of it, like it's like whether, you know, it can last. And spoiler, it, it does end basically unhappily. In, oh, that no. she, in that she just like carries on being a princess and he carries on being a journalist and they don't get together, which is oh. a bit different from some of these other films. But yeah. as far as I'm aware, that kind of started off this trend. And also we had Grace Kelly, oh, the of American actress in the 1950s. She married um, the, in the Prince of Monaco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that just like captured the public imagination. And good, all the way to Princess Diana in the 80s. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, she, I mean, even now, like, um, even now, like the media make a big thing of her anniversary of her death, and her story is very much talked about. And there are some people who think she's living on an island with Elvis or something like that. So <laughs> this princess mystique, more so than a prince mystique, mm. and but it's really centered around the kind of like it's centered around the idea of a monarchy as it is represented by the British monarchy. I would say the British royals is quite an quite an engrossing one and it it is yeah. and as demonstrated this week by all the attention you know garnered by Meghan and Harry's engagement mm. it is an interesting one in that like on the one hand Americans are like obviously anti-royalists given that that's kind given of given that you kicked our royals out and dumped all our tea in the sea so <laughs> but but, okay. but despite that there is a real real fascination that Americans seem to have for the royal family that I don't really think that most people in Britain actually share you know, yeah, I, I feel like most yeah. people here are quite apathetic towards it. No, I saw... Um, uh, if I not, saw, against it. Yeah, I saw a thing that was like, on the BBC, when I, saw, um, that I was just, you know, work, looking around for the day, and they said that, I think it was 30%-ish of people mm. were excited about it, but 10% of people didn't really know, and 50% of people were like, meh, don't Is really it care. in the UK? Yeah, in the UK. Yeah, because I think most people I know would say they were excited for like the two of them as individuals, rather yeah. than for like what it represents. So it's really interesting that the royal family do have this hold over. Well, look at the Crown, for example, as well. Like, that's yeah. one of the biggest shows of last year, and it will be this year, December eighth. You know, it's coming out. So it, this, there's this, there is this mystique and this interest that the royal family hold an idea of princess and nobility that's has enough interest for Hallmark, Lifetime, Netflix, and Disney, actual, like, Hollywood studios. Yeah, like, to make yeah. these kind of films. Think about you know Beauty and the Beast live action. Essentially, she's not a princess, but she's still has this idea of a princess mystique. Well, all, all, of course, yeah, all like, the Disney kind of animated films as well, I suppose, slightly fit into the genre. But I think that there's something about this idea of, like, you know, a lot of the times, 
you know British people such as ourselves find these films quite irritating in that the Brits or the Europeans are always like outdated and like oh, yeah. archaic and stuck up and <laughs> like they don't know like what a high five is or they don't know like who you know Madonna is or like there's all these oh like, yeah strange, one of the like, one of the you know and there's also, also an off, often a noble bitch girlfriend or woman in it who as as a Christmas prince she didn't know what a converse was yeah yeah exactly and like that's quite annoying in that it kind of perpetrates those like stereotypes, stereotypes. um but if you look past that like I 100% see why these kind of like films are so fun and like you know it's it's definitely a good escapist movie. Yeah. Like, that's definitely what I would put, like, most of these films into. See, and I wish, I thought A Christmas Prince was gonna be yeah, a good escapist yeah, movie. Yeah, we both thought it was gonna be in that category, and somehow it wasn't. It just so, made me angry. Yeah, let's, let's get into it. I think, I mean, we could start with our listener email. Um, so I'll do a really quick synopsis. Okay. So, essentially, i ignore the wine glass putting down. Essentially what happens in A, a Christmas Prince is... She, this girl is a journalist working for a Daily Mail um, kind of in publication, yeah. very into gossip, you know, US, um, uh, Us Magazine, that kind of thing, People mm. Magazine. And essentially, her job is boring. Her boss gives her an assignment to go to Aldovia, basically Genovia, made up European country, um, to basically get information about the monarchy there because the prince is a bit of a runaway, a layabout, and apparently there's been a, a period of you know, a year has gone by since his father has died, and if he doesn't take up the throne soon, then the monarchy will move somebody else. So it's a strange, like, patronymial interregnum thing, which doesn't actually It's never exist. explained. Which yeah. is infitting with most of the film in that nothing's ever really explained. explained. Anyway, so she goes there. Obviously the prince turns out to be a lot nicer than everyone says he was, and she starts to feel this, like, should I write about him in a way that's going to make my editor happy or should I write about him in a way that's true um, she also you know wrangles her way into becoming a tutor for the his little sister mm. to you know and that's basically a way of getting her into the castle full time they fall in love uh, apparently in days and they don't ever spend much time together anyway and then she is discovered that she discovers that actually the crown prince is adopted. It's a bit of a curveball, and you're like, okay. It's a bit of a curveball that is not handled hugely well. No, it's, it's very, very random. Confusing. It's very random. And then obviously there's an evil cousin who wants to take the throne, and when they find out, because she's an idiot, and leaves the papers out for people to find, then they find out that he's adopted, they interrupt the coronation because the prince has been inspired by her to take his position up or whatever, and be like, and this is weird point where they seem to think that set, that coronations are like weddings yeah it's literally <laughs> like do you take this man to be your king do you take, <laughs> or do you accept and then they were like if anybody has any reason they shouldn't be married not speak now or rather hold your peace like yeah, let them and speak then, and then the prime minister of the country is for some reason like being the person who's like the one who invests the yeah. prince and anyone who has done any kind of medieval or history at all will realize that the whole point of a monarchy is that your in your your um authority is given to you by god not by the, the, the parliament the elected prime minister because otherwise it's not yeah. a constitutional monarchy anymore anyway so the whole I don't think they aren't anyway so that was a key issue there as well that like he had no power because he was actually crowned by the prime minister who then was basically so obsessed with obeying the law that even though the cousin was obviously a scheming little bastard they were like nah 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 state the law essentially it's found out that she's the one who leaked it because she's stupid she gets sad runs away finds out through some convoluted means actually that the king before he died had made it, had signed a secret law so that the prince could become king even though he wasn't of royal blood. And here we mention that he has a little sister who is of royal blood. So why on earth the king didn't just like make a law saying girls could take the throne yeah. is beyond me. That, that was, there's a lot that you have to accept in this film. Like, which yeah. no sense. This is why it's stupid because it, 
Anyway, and then obviously everyone's like, hooray, hooray. They let him be king. She uh, runs off back home to hang out with her dad, quits her job because honestly her job is terrible. She's mm-hmm. also terrible. And then on New Year's Eve, she f- sees him in the street and then he proposes to her. And he's literally met her maybe like three times yeah. at this point. Like, yeah. <laughs> so essentially you're like, what is going on? You know, you know, Paige Morgan from Prince and Me saw this happening and didn't, you know, was like, no, this is too much. And she was like, and so the girl, Amber, in this movie is like, of course I'll marry you. We've known each other three days, but sure. And then they kiss and there's a swirling camera angle and that's it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm there being like, essentially they seem to, they did throw all of these princess films, all the things about them that people like, like the mistaken identity, the really charming, dashing prince, yeah. archery, yeah. sweet um, like you know Edvard had a sweet sibling he did yeah um, girl who falls in love without meaning to bitchy ex-girlfriend lovely mum um, dead dads many dead parents uh, you know the end the romantic ending but yet it just took it too far yeah, in it, lots of ways it, it did not connect like on any emotional level like the only level it could connect it to and, and I wouldn't necessarily say don't watch this film but I think you know you want to watch it with a group of friends with a glass of wine and like you know, second guessing everything that's going to happen, and you'll be able to guess everything that's going to happen. And um, yeah, yeah. Apart like, from the acorn thing, that was true. extra weird. That's the only way you can watch this film. We'll leave that as a non-spoiler. <laughs> it doesn't. It just doesn't translate into a moment where you actually think, "Oh, that was really cute," or they actually have good chemistry, or mm, mm-hmm. and even like. Uh, so there was a there haven't been a huge amount of reviews of this film probably because it doesn't really warrant that but you know, <laughs> yeah. there was a, quite a funny review by Entertainment Weekly that came out yesterday and they said that everything even it doesn't even have that element of escapism that often these movies do mm. in that the palace kind of looks like like a sort of subpar Disneyland like it's like bejazzled with all these well, like and the village looks like a ski like, village yeah yeah so it doesn't really have that element to it you know, there isn't the kind of really glamorous clothes that, like, you know, in the Princess Diaries 2 where she opens her the closet and she has the walking closet. Oh, and all the good dresses she wears. In that yeah, film. or even in The Prince and Me, you know, like, she gets, like, a kind of team of people helping her. And even in uh, The Princess for Christmas, which I don't think probably had a very large budget, it still has, like, quite a beautiful castle and, yeah. you know, a lot of, like, glamorous clothes. So it doesn't really have that element to it either. Um, and the being couple don't really have any chemistry, which is weird. Yeah, because she's been in some stuff. The girl who plays so her. she's been in a, a show called Eye Zombie, which, which I thought was quite well received. Yeah, like um, Sophie, my uh, like old flatmate, shout out to Sophie. Hi Sophie. Like, she was like a huge fan of Eye Zombie, and for her it was like a big guilty pleasure. And she's like, it's really fun. Yeah. So I, I mean, she was everyone in it. I wouldn't say was like bad at acting. I was just more like they didn't have much to work with, I suppose, and it was just yeah. like. I wonder yeah. if anyone making it actually thought it was good. Like, because there was no tell. depth to any. There was problem. There was no depth to any of the characters. Like, I think they tried to cram so much of the stuff in, like mistaken identity. You know, she has these two very bland friends who say very bland friend like things. We never like know their names. They just appear yeah. on Facetime, and they're like, like "Follow your dream." And the dad says, "Follow your heart." And the friends say, "Oh my god!" Like, do the do the damning report, even though it's gonna basically like break this prince's heart because he's so sweet and nice. Because like, it's good for your career, girl. Like, I think they just everything was very bland. Yeah, it's very surface level and. It's just, it's one thing that's kind of strange about it. It's like, so when the movie starts, like, it literally just shows kind of, like, generic stock footage of, like, New York City, like... <laughs> In the snow. Yeah, like, a lot of kind of, like, 90s, early noughties movies, like, rom-coms, like, start out. Yeah, like, you're right. Um, but it it doesn't kind of update that genre particularly. Like, it's, you know, it there could have been room here to, like, 
be like, oh, we're going to do like a 21st century version of, mm. you know, like this kind of princess like vibe, you know, like let's see how we can do that. But they don't really do that. It kind of very much sticks to all the things that you expect are going to happen. Slap, it's kind of slapstick in lots yeah, of ways. Yeah, yeah. And like the only element of it which I thought was remotely kind of maybe progressive is that his sister, the prince's sister, is disabled. And they kind of talk about that a bit. But they don't really talk about it in any great detail and it's not really I don't really wouldn't say that that warrants it in any way seeming as if it's kind of a modern yeah like I will say like her disability doesn't isn't crucial to the plot so they didn't shouldn't well it is kind of because I suppose that I suppose the reason that this girl when she she finds she's the first one to find out because she's the only one with her brain she's She's very smart she's very smart she's the first one to find out that um, Amber is basically an absolute phony and is terrible, and also a terrible journalist. That's a separate thing. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. You know, well. she's a terrible tutor, she's a terrible journalist, terrible human being. But Emily finds out, and obviously, I think maybe it's a disability and the fact that she can't be independent means that she has this girl on the hook who can basically make she can be like well we'll have fun together and you'll do what I want and I won't give you over. And she says like you're the only person who's treated me like a normal normally. Person. So I guess, you know, I think that, you know, if you were a child watching that, that would give a good message in the, you know... Yeah, um, Emily's a good character. Yeah, no, so that was the only kind of positive thing. You know, there's no, like, real diversity. There's no real kind of, like, element of, like, hey, current issues. Hey, her friends, one of them is a person of colour, <laughs> and one of them is gay. Yeah, which is clearly, like, their attempt at the end, he goes off with, At the end, they go on a date with two guys, and you're like, okay, but... He, honestly, like it's so. They I, both of her friends, right? Could have been absolutely anyone. Oh yeah, yeah. Bland, no, no, bland, 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 bland. But then she herself is pretty bland. She's like, very what bland. do we know about her? So she seems to want to be a journalist. Her dad is a diner. The fact that she's a terrible journalist definitely comes into it quite <laughs> she's a lot. So, so bad. Like, there's a funny screenshot that we retweeted. We actually we live tweeted our viewing of this movie, so you can like look at that if you want to as well. On, on at real llw. But so on the um, on, this person like retweeted like a picture of her notes, which. You, like we briefly see so we don't really see her do any writing um, she makes these dumb notes yeah these kind of bullet points which are literally like <laughs> Pri- prince doesn't seem who I think he is question mark dot 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 yeah. it's like, it's just, worried tension yeah and then at the end like spoiler she doesn't obviously want to like you know publish the story that's like the damning story of like, although really like nothing particularly has happened except for I guess like they find out he was adopted but, but that's the point like she her friends she finds the adoption papers in a, a secret drawer that no one seems to have found apparently <laughs> you know it's like it's not even a Chinese puzzle box kind of thing it's just yeah. like on anyway and then her friends over Skype who always seem to be available to Skype while they're at work oh yeah yeah are like girl do, you know? release it reveal it and you're like so basically She's like, in the name of good journalism, they say, no, 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 no. They're paparazzo, basically, these people. And they're being like, your career will like, take off. Like, no, your career as a blood-sucking paparazzi member will take off. Well, but also what's <sighs> kind of odd about it is that she... The whole thing was like, should she release this, this, this finding? No. Which, which, like, you'd fact-check it, you know, and also you would, you would write a story. Like, she could write, like, a story about how she managed to get undercover in this palace, which, let's just say, she managed to do very easily. There was oh, very yeah. lack security. Like, they... nobody checked, no. like, any, like, documents or anything. No, but yeah. At the end, she publishes it on her blog. You're like, is this 2003? And it's called Amber's Blog. Yeah, like, she could have pitched that to, like, anyone. Oh. And, and obviously, this isn't the point. And I know, like, many rom-coms, like, have a terrible, you know, but that was interpretation the... of but that was different industries. But... Wasn't it, like, you know, she was meant to be this person who was nice 
and kind and fair enough she is nice and kind to the to the kid and yeah. she's just like she's generally harmless but the fact is that she sits there for half the film having no knowing this being like should i a misrepresent the people who've been very nice to me to make my career go ahead should i leak some very harmful knowledge that somebody i mean this guy does not know he's adopted should i leak to the press he's adopted and not tell him this man that i'm like potentially falling yeah should i break this monarchy apart and ruin these people's lives. She says to her dad over the phone, it might hurt them. And the dad goes, then don't, like, the fact that she sat there for half the film thinking whether well, this was not good, was or was not a good idea, just made me absolutely, like, baffled. Because I'm like, it's very obvious that this is not an issue. You're either horrible, you're a horrible person if you think you should do it. And they didn't want to be a horrible person. So this conflict that we were meant to maybe, maybe really identify with her because yeah, of. Yeah, we, we obviously didn't. No, because we're like, you're an idiot. And I think, <laughs> You know, that's worth, like... Obviously, a lot... I think it is worth saying that a lot of rom-com heroines, like, do Mm. not kind of necessarily have, like, a job or values that you can identify with or look up to. But that's where they could have... They could have made that a bit better. I mean, in The Prince and Me, she is a medical student, and there's a whole thing about how she's really good at it, and it's, like, her life. And, like, there is a part at one point where she, like, briefly abandons it and, like, goes and, like, potentially marries the prince. for love. Which was pretty off the wall and that's the bit when I first watched him <laughs> like, I what? thought it was like a dream because <laughs> yeah. I was just like how is this happening but at the end like she graduates and and I think they kind of managed to do the kind of like career versus love like storyline a lot better and it's a lot yeah. more like relatable in that you know okay you might make sacrifices for someone that you care about but mm. you ultimately put your career like mm. you know first and I feel like or not even first, but just like equal, Princess you know? Mia does that. Yeah, absolutely. Her career yeah. as a prin- her career as a not a princess, but a representative of the people of Genovia. Like you know, she ma- she chooses to maybe marry not for love, but for the strength of her. You know, for keep her family in, in power and to yeah, I mean, represent her people as best she can. And also, Princess for Christmas, she is just trying to be a nice aunt and to yeah. look after her look after her niece and nephew. I think the Princess for Christmas did a lot lot better job at making you think that this was just a genuinely like really nice sweet girl. Like who was doing her best because she in that movie, she's looking after her dead sister and brother-in-law's children, yeah. children and she's clearly like quite young she's obviously in her 20s and she's looking after these these two like this like maybe five-year-old and ten-year-old perhaps um and you know like they're quite hard work and like then you know she meets sam hewan and and it's just it's actually genuinely quite sweet but you can like, see how he would fall for her yeah it's much more kind of believable um and you know we did discuss how like they have better chemistry and but I think it's it's generally a better film and there's clearly a way of doing these films that isn't tokenly awful while still plays into some of these kind of like outdated and, a bit and making silly tropes. You know, you know, like there are lots of tropes, there are lots of similarities about particularly a Princess of Christmas and a Christmas Prince, as in yeah. American comes to you know sort of stri- slightly strange royal household that you know has um, a son and a father in it. Who are or a son and a parent in it who are kind of struggling? Um, the, you know, the prince is feeling lonely, has a weird ex girlfriend, is maybe trying to find who he is. The girl inspires him. There's mm. some cute kids running around. In the end, there's a Christmas ball which they dance at. Someone tries to get in the way, but in the end, they triumph and fall in love and blah 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 blah. But just like the princess for Christmas, just did it in a way that was. I think maybe they didn't have is they pared it down a bit there's no mis- there's no mistake agenda. yeah there isn't so many of these different things and also i will say in the end the prince in uh, christmas prince was just was fine he was fine he was fine 
He was fine. Yeah. I mean, I do think that part of the reason we enjoyed A Princess for Christmas was to do with the fact that it was Sam Hewitt from Outlander yeah. playing, like, a very kind of uptight prince. Like, that was quite fun. <laughs> that was like, quite funny. I mean, the first time we watched it, we had a great time. So, we'll, Oh my gosh, we'll, we did. We'll, we'll recommend with... any yeah. Outlander fans to watch it, for sure. Oh, like, yeah, it's really, really good, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But just... I think the problem with A Christmas Prince, as we probably probably made clear yeah. is that it has all the trappings of what could be a great Christmas film yeah. with a prince and princess in it and it's all great and it's cute and it's you know snowy landscape in a European country and but it just doesn't hold a candle to the other kind of films of its type because it just runs itself aground yeah, completely yeah. mainly I think with Amber she's awful yeah I think I think that if it had more if they'd spent just like a tiny bit more time on characterization, it would have helped a lot. And less time on all the different bits they wanted to do. I mean, so the Entertainment Weekly review that I mentioned earlier, like they wrote this thing that made me laugh quite a lot and thought was very true. They were like, basically, Netflix knows. Like, Netflix did not try with this film. And I think that, that is clearly a fact. Like, they obviously didn't try <laughs> a huge amount. But they know that someone's going to want to watch it. Yeah, and, you know, they were like, Netflix knows that you're watching this with a glass of wine and two tabs open. And we made this film with a glass of wine and two tabs open. <laughs> and it honestly feels that way. Like, and I think... They clearly just, yeah, they knew what they were doing. I don't think anyone involved had any idea that it was going to be, like, a classic. Well, yeah, it does, it, it plays into all the tropes of a Hallmark or Lifetime movie. And in the end, a little girl, it'll be, you could sit, sit a little girl or boy in front of it, leave them alone. They'll be like, that was fun. I think, that's, that's an interesting point, like, to, like, quickly discuss. Mm. In terms of, like, are these films aimed at children? Because I think that film, like, clearly was. Because, like, the kind not of... very complex. It's not very complex. But A Prince and Me... Like starts no. off with like everybody like at the at the uni bar like drinking shots and talking about like Sex. their sexual encounters. Yeah. One of them has like a very much older like hookup. Yeah. So like that's very very like kind of doesn't really fit at all with like the latter half of the film where she like randomly into... becomes a princess. Yeah. So like that's quite weird. I would say that the Princess Diaries, the first film, is a lot more like mature than the second film. Mm-hmm. And like. I, so I was like a big fan of the Princess Diaries books and was always like, Mia should be with Michael. So I didn't really like the second film. And also, I felt like it was kind of a bit of a betrayal of like the, her values and like the first movie and like how, mm. how she was as a character. Mm-hmm. So I would prefer to see them as like two very different films. They like, are basically two different yeah, films. Yeah, two I separate mean, films. They kind of are. And like looking back, I can like enjoy it for like Chris Pine and you know yeah. I do like Genovia like as a concept it's, it's Disney who make those films isn't yeah, it yeah it is yeah. and Julie that, Andrews yeah yeah and you can see that like essentially the first one was meant to be an accurate an accurate kind of like book to film adaptation adaptation yeah, that's yeah. the word I was like <laughs> representation no uh, adaptation of the kind of the the what's the word the themes and the kind of like ideals of the yeah, books which yeah. are like being unpopular isn't that bad things can be really awkward and difficult sometimes sort of like teenage problems um this stupid princess trope itself. Like, Meg Cabot's kind of making fun of the princess trope with yeah, Princess yeah, Mia. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then the second film, they basically turned all on its head and were like, right, we want to make a cool princess movie. And we have Anne Hathaway and we have Julie Andrews, so we might as well. Yeah, I think they yeah. all, like, signed up for a sequel. And it's funny because in the books, like, it's very, like, self-referential. And yeah, they do mention it, don't and, they? and she's like, oh, like, I really enjoyed the film. But, you know, the second one was, like, nothing like my life. Like, don't worry, guys. Like, I'm still, like, with Michael. Oh, they bring up with Michael. Like, How weird. Yeah, which is a really great 
great way of doing it. Like, I do love, like, Meg Catherine, yeah. which is really cool. But um, the Princess Diaries 2, don't get me wrong, is awesome. Yeah, for basically, like, you enjoy it for, like, a different reason. And I think one of the... I do think that, like, the supporting cast of characters that make up the palace is a big part of these films. And, like, obviously, oh, yeah. you can't all have Julie Andrews, you know, fair enough. Oh, man, but, she's like, so awesome. you do have, like, in um, A Princess for Christmas, like, Roger Moore is, like, the grandfather. Oh, yeah, he is! There's, the like, grumpy hate Christmas yeah, yeah, grandfather. Yeah, and there's a big kind of, like... There's all the servants and they get involved with like helping her find a dress. And like, I think that's the kind of part of the comforting blanket that these movies should like sew for you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely true. And again, a prince and me, she has her friends are not bland at all. No, they aren't. Her no. friends are very interesting. And they then she are. has her brothers and her parents. Mm. And the prince has his cute, his cute little sister. And Francesca Wilson, no, Francesca Wilson, what's her name? Francesca, that's me. Her name's Francesca, the person who plays the mum. Oh. Simon Wilson? Francesca something. Yeah. Wait, Miranda wait. Richardson. There right. we go. I was sorry. Say, I don't think... I, I know all the famous Francescas. I'm like... No, yeah, sorry. Miranda Richardson. Yes, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And then yeah. the dad. And it's got some really sweet like, relationships between... Yeah, like... The, you're right. The supporting cast of characters in those three films kind of help to drag you along to the escapist world. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Like, in, you know, in The Princess Diaries 2, you've got, like... Is she kind of like the... the I don't know who she is. Like, the Secretary of State... The, secretary of state. Oh no, that's not at all who she is. Um, like she's like a sort of secretary, secretary. type figure. The, sec- the blonde, the blonde secretary. woman. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got like the the, the ladies in mating, mating, waiting. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> the chauffeur. The chauffeur. You know, he's like so nice. I mean, the security guard or the chauffeur. Yeah, the security guard Joe. chauffeur, Joe. Joe. Yeah. 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 So Joe. all those characters, like, you know, kind of make the movies. And I think this film did not spend any time on that. Yeah. But I think we should talk a bit more about the princes. But I think we could also first talk about the fan mail. Oh, yeah, we got. yeah. So, we, we, got, so we, we announced on Twitter we were going to do this. Um, we got a lot of feedback. People were very keen, um, which is good to know. And, like, thanks everybody as well for your, like, kind comments about our Stranger Things episode and Call Me By Your Name. Really mm. glad that you guys, like, liked that as much as we yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. We got a particularly uh, flu-fueled email yeah, so this from, is our, from friend our friend Laura. Shout out to Laura. Who actually watched this one before we did. She did. She watched it day before us. Yeah, on our, kind of our recommendation in that we were like, we're going to discuss it. So, she might as well, yeah. So, let's, uh, let's hear from Laura. So, essentially, she essentially... She says she's never seen anything quite like it. She notes that also it was a mashup of about 28 other films and riddled with cliches. She's also right. So, essentially, <laughs> she says uh, she paid quite close attention to the fact that how the girl's supposed to be endearing. She says, this is made clear to us when she knocks over a vase in the castle, exclaiming, oh no, was this expensive? Only from the Ming Dynasty, Ross the Queen. What's she like? So clumsy and endearing. So essentially, Laura really did hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, definitely. In kind of being like, the, you know, there's so much, so many little bits that you're just like, recognise it, recognise it, recognise it. Clumsy princess, a la Princess Mia. Yeah, also just clumsy rom-com heroine. Like, they're yeah. always clumsy. They are always clumsy, because it's endearing, yeah. as Laura notes. Um, and equally, it appears the prince is an arsehole, but when clumsy gal walks in with him, playing what is frankly a basic, pretty basic rendition of the first Noel on piano, it's clear that not as all, all is not what it seems, and the prince has so, more, so much more depth. That is before, oops, she bumps into the door and sees her standing there. Classic clumsy gal, how endearing. Yeah, we didn't really discuss that, but like, there's a whole thing about how he's supposed to be like really talented and like at the piano. And he literally <laughs> just like, even for me, he was like not a music person at all. I was like, I don't think that was that impressive. There are two like, incidents. First, he's played the first Noel. 
very boring. Yeah, very like mundane. Mundane, like, like da 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 da. And the second time he's playing Silent Night. Yeah. Except it's just like do 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 do, and it's literally. And at one point she goes, "You're amazing," and it's like literally. She's completely right. It is a very basic. Like, yeah, yeah. And why is he always playing Christmas carols? Like, call me by your name. He's playing like Bach, and also he's like a very talented like pianist. So I don't think it's a comparison, but yeah, like it's it's strange in that like there definitely could have been a better way to show that they were connected and they were in love, other than like this really bad piano playing. And also, there is an incident with wolves. Can anyone tell us where we remember the wolves from? Outlander. And also Beauty and the Beast yeah. as well. In Outlander, like in the book, she gets like she fights off some wolves in mm. the first episode in the first in the first book. And the TV show wisely did not include that because like it's crazy. Like Yeah. But, but yeah, like in this we forgot to talk about that, but yeah. She Laura saddles a horse, having never ridden a horse before on yeah. her own somehow. I've saddled a horse. It's not easy to do. And then she rides into the forest. Manages to piss off the horse, falls off the horse, goes, oh no, it's not wolves. And Nora makes a note of it as well, you know, clumsy gown, her horse are chased by wolves before the beast, I mean the prince. I mean, anyway. So, it is like a Beauty and the Beast kind of rip off. And, and also it's just like, it's filmed like very badly because clearly that hmm. was like far too much for like the budget yeah. to have actual wolves even being involved. So. Yeah. And equally, overall, as from a, you know, and we will try and maybe cover in a second, uh, you know, whether or not we can consider these heroines as kind of like, female friendly or more just playing into stereotypes that women yeah, suffer yeah. because of but this film just took the cake for that because of course emily so the whole idea is that prince richard is that his name that was his name oh, yeah. yeah see this is how little effect he made on yeah. this prince richard basically is adopted because the king and queen realized they couldn't have any children um he's about what 10 years older than emily we would yeah, say probably. maybe more than that yeah. and then emily who is this little girl is born and they say she's a miracle so she is the biological child of the king and the queen and yet the king decided to change the laws of his son who is not his blood he was so obsessed with patronymial inheritance that he was like i'm going to make my son non-blood son which is the key problem here a, a, a monarch i'm not going to try and think about that my daughter is my own blood and it makes much more sense in terms of the mystique of monarchies to have this royal blood flowing through her and therefore make her, her a queen in her own right no the inheritance has to go to the man and you're like yeah oh. it's, it's basically like a whole a whole load of like very much invented problems that like cause this issue but yeah they, they basically say that she she as a woman cannot inherit the phone the throne the phone <laughs> which is a really you know, outdated concept that as far as i'm aware like no monarchies really oh. have that view anymore i mean they, they changed that in no the, the, the UK. princess charlotte isn't out of the throne yeah. she's fourth i think they changed it before kate and william had their first child i think yeah like, um and it doesn't really make any sense because this this king richard I guess he was also called Kim Richard, wasn't he? The the father. Yeah, Richard yeah. the first and Richard the second. <laughs> no other Richards beforehand. But he was supposed to be, you know, very loving and caring, and and the thing is that I guess you could also say that maybe there's a good message in there, and that like if you're adopted, like you're, you know, you're, it doesn't mean that you're you don't belong or something. But they don't really kind of like dwell on that in any detail at all. So like I don't really think we could give them that. No, we can't. All we can give them is the fact that they literally just like made it. <sighs> also, we forgot to mention as well that the adoption certificate that she finds like literally looks like it was made on like Microsoft Word yeah and then like, printed out on some like shitty paper 100% like could have been faked yeah like, I'm pretty sure we were both a bit like were they faked yeah yeah it just I mean they could have tried hard no work. effort was made but then again Netflix didn't want to spend any money on this film because no. in the end they're trying to play into the they're trying to play into the tropes that this kind of movie is it's, appro- it's appropriate not 
But yeah, like let's discuss, like you said, about um, the the women in the yeah. Let's go. Let's, let's head over into that. Um, and I think, I think, like you know, like there's obviously this sort of trope of like a strong female heroine. It's like a slightly kind of irritating idea, in that like you know, it, it's implying that like there has to be something that makes the woman strong. Oh like, no, I get it. Yeah. Um, but I think you know, there's definitely got to be there's, there can be elements. So, so the late Paige Morgan, for example, in The Prince and Me. Mm very much I would say controls her own destiny oh yeah she absolutely. makes decisions based on what she wants to do at that moment so she makes the decision midway through the film to quit her degree and to go and find Edvard because she realises she's in love with him while she's doing like her Shakespeare class and like at the time you're sitting there kind of screaming at your TV well maybe if you're like us and you're like why is she doing this like no matter how much she loves him like she shouldn't be quitting her degree but they very much frame it as it's her decision and then later they frame it that it's her decision to leave Denmark, which is actually Denmark as opposed to an unknon European Round country. European country, yeah. yeah. Um, to leave Denmark and to go back and finish her degree and she's like, it's not worth it, like I don't really want to be And she has a bevy of great female friends as well. Yeah, who she act does. as confidants and help her out. Like, you know, they basically help pay for her trip to Denmark and stuff. And I think that kind of fits with like Julia Styles, like normally does play these quite kind of like empowered female heroines so yeah a la tender things about you absolutely yeah. i hate about you which even. is a fantastic film fun, what, literally one of fans favorite films yeah yeah and one of the reasons i really like it is her character like i think Doesn't that take she any... is so great no yeah and i said definitely see it. and again with and the idea that the and i think it's like um the fact that these films are headlined by women i see that this is disney films as well mm. the princess films whether or not they're playing with the fact that women are princesses either way the the, the female heroines control their own film mm. much more so like in superhero films we've had wonder woman finally but cinderella was the star of her own film what 80 years ago mm. so actually this has been much more a thing in disney films even quietly and even if they're playing into traditional ideas of you know um women in traditional and... traditional family structures yeah. and stuff like finding a prince but still the women go through their own struggles like you know cinderella beats her you know, and if you think about Princess Mia, for example, in The Princess Diaries 2, like, she comes in to this monarchy that is run by the Queen, can I point out. It's very female, very well It heavy. is, very much so. Like, yeah. The Queen Julie is Andrews, yeah. the Queen. And she's the one in Parliament, you know, fighting against the men in Parliament. You know, she has this really cool female um, assistant who gets around getting everything done. Um, you know, Mia relies so much on her friend... Um, Lily. Lily, who herself is a very independent, interesting woman. You know, she basically goes up and asks one of the guys out, you know, in the film. Mm. Um, so Mia is not... Mia herself is a strong, a strong character as well. She kind of... She makes a decision personally to take a husband for her people. Just as she and the Queen decide together, they're not going to go through with it when Mia doesn't want to. She's the one who stands up there at the front and gets Parliament to you know, change the rules for her. So actually, I feel like in that film, in A Prince and Me, they're both surrounded by strong female characters who kind of, in many ways, like, she had, you know, Edvard has this very strong mother. That's true, Who's yeah. very protective of her family and also very well-respected in Dane, Denmark, obviously. Yeah. Dane land, in the Denmark, fake Denmark. In the fake Denmark. So, you know, it's interesting to me that, like, fine, these films are playing into the idea that women want to wear pretty dresses and they want to, but equally, Paige Morgan, can she can carry both. You know, like she wants to be a doctor, but equally she can she can want to have love as well. Yeah, Mia can want to run a country and want to have love, and also want to like represent herself and to do what she wants and not have her life done for her. I mean, I would say that these these films, by being dinted princess films, actually leave you with a very much strong female heroine at the lead. I think that's true, and also like it's a bit different than your conventional romantic comedy because in your conventional romantic comedy the main power structure that's going on is like 
the sort of power dynamics between the man and the woman. Yeah. Whereas in these movies, there's another power dynamic at play, which is the power of kind of this monarchy or this crown that's kind of got this hold over them. Mm. Um, which, you know, whether or not you agree with that or not, it, it does kind of add another like dimension to it. You know, even in, to go all the way back to Roman Holiday, mm. like in that film, you know, she is the princess. Mm. So she really has a lot more power than this American mm-hmm. journalist. who mm-hmm. may be much older than her, maybe a man, but you know, ultimately she kind of is dictating how everything goes. And like, okay, yes, maybe she's got that power because of this, you know, outdated concept of monarchy, but it does still work in the context of a film as like making her this fairly empowered heroine yeah, yeah. who's making decisions on offering back and like allowed to kind of do what she wants. Yeah, and you have women forcing change. Like, yeah. um, oh my God, what's her name? Which one? Uh, Katie McGrath. What's her name in the film? Oh gosh, I don't know. That's Morgana from Merlin. Morgana from Merlin. Yeah. Uh, Jules. Jules, Jules, right, yeah. Aunt Jules. You know, she basically is the one who is looking after these children, supporting herself with one job, which she gets fired from unfairly. You know, she's the one who pretends to protect them and makes friends with everyone in the castle and dictates change. And as much as you're like, okay, women controlling, women kind of being successful in the domestic space, in the home, fine, you know, classic, you know, idea of women being yeah. powerful behind the scenes. But still, I just feel the fact that these it, these films have a woman as the central character and the prince is the boyfriend character. Yeah, absolutely. He's, yeah. They're not, the prince doesn't dictate what the, what the, where the story goes. The woman dictates where the story goes. She's the one who maybe gets betrayed or gets confused or, you know, everything follows her. Yeah. And it's the same with Disney films. Like, as much as where the storyline goes, it's focused on the woman, her experience and her feelings. So whether or not they're playing into harmful tropes of what womanhood should be, like princesses, dresses, domestic spaces relying on a man's love blah 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 is a bit different but still these films I think have been doing something different for a long time now which is giving women a starring role I think that's true and also like you know I remember going to see The Princess Diaries when it first came out and I feel like when it first came out we were probably about seven or eight quite young yeah and like you know Mia was totally portrayed as a like uh, someone that I would look up to you know (gasps) and like I don't you know if I had like a you know if I knew a young girl now I would direct direct her towards that film and be like yeah like she's a great heroine for like you to look up to mm. so I think you know like you say like they've been doing it for a long time and they they do really stand up as being flawed but also like interesting portrayals of women who have I guess you know because the idea of I think the reason that we're also fascinated by the idea of monarchy and the reason the crown has been so successful mm. is like this idea that people who are royal have it like forced upon them and like don't really have any choice in like the matter which is a different existence it's quite different than like anything anyone can relate to and so i think like you know showing somebody battling with that that like knowledge is is intriguing Mm. and is interesting and i think yeah it's definitely you know not that any of these films are in any way perfectly feminist films but they're not as flawed as maybe you would think given that they are romantic comedies yeah you have women who are uh, women who were fully formed because they're the star <laughs> of the movies yeah and again when i say with superhero films you know we've only just now had a move a woman's a movie a, a woman fronting a superhero film for the first time with wonder women but they've then, been there but they haven't been fronting them one thing i would say about that is that you know i guess you could say that the superhero movie genre is maybe kind of like stereotypically male but on the whole like it's supposed to appeal to everybody whereas these like romantic comedy princess films are clearly supposed to appeal to women oh no so i yeah. suppose like I that's, that's one way and it's a bit flawed and that it's kind of like portraying you know it's like it's only supposed to be for women and like oh this is a women's interest kind of movie so maybe you you're, but you're not making you're not making the same kind of strides in terms of making women's issues 
um, and women's uh, portrayals uh, are approachable to everybody as something that Wonder Woman does because yeah, it's more yeah. mainstream film. Oh, yeah, that's definitely that's a point to make. So, it's an interesting thing that I think um, um, it's a dissertation, a, a doctoral thesis that someone um, I've read about is doing, which is basically being like how romantic historical romance novel women are actually, well, they're actually feminist portrayals. And I think, I absolutely think they are. Like, the historical romance books that I read, they're full of strong women, but the point is, you're so right, that the audience is women. So when yeah, it comes so to, when it, when it comes to seeing things as a woman, you have a plenty of stuff to access that shows strong women, but mm. whether or not it's actually, like, mainstream is a different thing. You're and right. I think, you know, the more mainstream it is, the, the better it would be in terms of, like, opening people's eyes. Like, so for Wonder Woman, for example, like, mm. I would really hope that, you know, a man who watched that who perhaps doesn't normally doesn't normally engage in content which is led by women might find that to be to sort of maybe change that perception a bit yeah um, which well, probably like, won't happen if they yeah we think about all the things that we ones. love like she's the man yeah um, yeah got Anna, pff, Ella, Enchan- Ella Enchanted Enchanted itself I'm not looking at my DVD collection to try and think <laughs> about this kind of stuff I mean all the Lindsay Lohan all the Lindsay Lohan and the American Ashley and the Hilary Duff films and stuff They're like Lizzie McGuire, Roman Holiday, women. Lizzie yeah. McGuire. Like, actually, it's a big similarity. Yeah, there, there's so much of this kind of stuff accessible for women, but actually, whether or not it's mainstream is a difference. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, to get on some objectify of our own, yeah. we thought we'd have a fun little section where we rate and disgrace the four princes of these films. So we yeah. have Prince Richard from Prince of Christmas. No, Christmas Prince. Christmas Prince, sorry. <laughs> Prince Ashton. From A Princess of Christmas, as played by Sam Hewen. Yeah. Um, Prince Edvard from Prince and Me, and mm-hmm. then Nicholas, who's just a duke, isn't I think he? So, yeah, in we... Princess Diaries 2. Yeah. So obviously, we would rank the films Princess Diaries 2 at the top. Yeah, The Prince and Me. Yeah. Um, a Princess for Christmas, and then A Christmas Prince, like way, way. Only in the ranking because we have to include yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, the princes are a different thing. And obviously, we're talking here not about who portrayed them. So we have Chris Pine as Nicholas. Sam Hewen as Prince Ashton and two people who we don't care about. I think as it's two. interesting to note that both Chris Pine and Sam Hewen were like total unknowns when they did at this point. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. So like when you were watching it, you would not have been swayed by the fact that it was played by oh my gosh, it's like him from Star Trek or him from Outlander. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't have had that. And I was like Prince uh, Prince Richard did well. It wasn't Oscar worthy, but it was a relatively <laughs> emotional performance when he was at his dad's grave, being like, "I'll be who you want me to be, Dad." Yeah, you know? I didn't know anything about that actor. I feel like we should have like googled it to see if he, he looked was vaguely Scandinavian. So I mean, I he was he was kind of blandly good looking. He was <laughs> yeah. kind of blandly a interesting character, but like not really. Very bland. So I would definitely put him at the bottom. Dating? No, Prince Richard. You'd be like, his horse is cute, but his horse was cool. Yeah, uh, I think like it's interesting because Edvard, who is the character, and honestly, like we used to like crack up so much the fact he was called Edvard. Edvard. Um, anyway, Ed- we called Edvard, didn't we? Yeah, was yeah. Egg? yeah. We, we watched that when we were at university and made everyone we know watch it because we just thought it was kind of crazy. Made but... our friend Faye watch it multiple times. Yeah. Superimposed her Poor face Faye. onto a massive poster of it for her birthday. That is Hi, true. Hi, Faye! <laughs> yeah. I love you. She, treasure- she treasures it. <laughs> she does. Anyway. What do think she did with it? No one I did. think it was up in her room. Her room? Well, Faye, please write it in comfort. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I will say that Edvard and Paige Morgan actually both have quite like interesting journeys because he mm. very much is the playboy. He is a playboy, again. unlike Richard, yeah. who's just not. He goes at all. to an American university purely hoping to see women, boobs, and to see women's to friends. see your friends. <laughs> yeah, 
which <laughs> like, he goes. It's kind of bizarre, but you know. Um, and then oh God! He, does, he he changes. He like connects with Shakespeare, and then he goes and like spends Thanksgiving with Paige's family. And realizes what it is to like actually like have friends and family and probably care about yeah, you. Yeah, so and... I would say that he has the best emotional journey and it's also probably the most realistic in that, like, he is actually a, a bit immature spoiled prince, which, like, realistically, like, you would be like that. Like, no, no, yeah. Know? Richard's, like, tortured, but in the end he's not. He's just boring aff. Yeah, so... And know, also, Edvard is kind of good-looking. Yeah, well, as we know, like, you loved Edvard. I did love Edvard. So I would almost, like, maybe put him first, like... Because but because when he made a sandwich, he like there's this thing where he like basically like blackmails Paige Morgan into getting her a job at the local deli, and then she can't, he can't use the meat slicer, and she shows him how to make them use them use the meat slicer, and then when they're at the ball in Denmark, he makes her a sandwich with a meat slicer, and it's actually very cute. Yeah, I think I and then just she sees kind the globe and everything unravels. Found it slightly like I don't wouldn't say any of these movies are very relatable to me in any way, but I think that is probably more relatable in that like. You know, you could imagine meeting someone like that at your university. And, yeah. and then, like, you know, spending... Because they also spend a lot of time together. Yeah. Like, the whole film takes place over maybe, like, a year. No, yeah. So, yeah, I think I would maybe put him first. But he's sweet and smart. And, like, he goes... Like, oh, the whole point is that he's very smart, but he doesn't use it. And then at one point, he goes into Parliament and he has a meeting with the Cabinet and actually, like, makes a difference with, yeah. like, the Workers' Union stuff. Because the Workers' Union and the management can't, like, get along. And he makes them get along. And Paige is looking on, like, very proud. And it's like, actually, when it comes to the kind of person he is, intelligent, a bit tortured, a bit of a dick at the beginning but not so much and he's really kind and sweet to her yeah, like, yeah definitely and, and like he falls in love with her very quickly doesn't he and then but comes... it's much more of a natural kind of like courtship than, yeah. than this like oh my gosh I've known you for like two weeks over Christmas and now we're in love like it was yeah. much more kind of like see and Nicholas has a similar journey actually Princess and Prince with Princess Mia and mm. that he starts out basically like a bit of like a leaf on the wind like he does not care he doesn't try to like go along with his uncle's blackmail scheme but equally he doesn't try not to you know he just sort of like is there and then he's kind of charming and vaguely nice and at the end he's like nah Mia's great I'm gonna go out with her kind of Mm. thing but now I think about it he doesn't he's not bad he's just witty yeah yeah yeah. he reads one time I feel like I remember like when I watched the film like finding him kind of a bit bland and he is bland oh my gosh I did not like like him at all and I, I feel like I always kind of liked in the princess diaries that she chooses Michael, who is like the kind of quiet, like musician, you know, like and just just kind of a much more ordinary kind of person. So you you don't like Nicholas because you wanted her to be with Michael. Yeah, Even I though think... Michael was definitely uglier than Chris Pine. Yeah, I guess so. I mean uh, <laughs> I don't know, I feel like I just very much like Team Michael and I feel like, you know, I probably was very young when I watched The Princess Diaries two for the first yeah. time and like that first impression has definitely stuck with me. Um, oh, but he's basically harmless. But now, obviously, I'm like, yeah, go Chris Pine. So, I don't know. Maybe if I rewatch it, like, right now, oh, I would be uh, torn. Ashton? What do you remember about Ashton? Ashton. So, I feel like I remember him being very kind of sweet. He was and, sweet. And a good nephew um, and father. No, no, nephew. He wasn't a father. What am I saying? Son. <laughs> he wasn't either. He's not a dad. <laughs> Sorry, a good son. Um, and a good uncle. That's yeah, he is a good say. uncle. Um, and just a generally kind of caring sort of person. I mean, basically, picture Sam Hewen as Jamie. But with his hair brushed. But with, like, sort of very short blonde hair and, like, a polo shirt kind of vibe. And generally kind of just wandering around being like, la, 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 I think la, la. I, found, I, 
I feel like the problem is that I watched that film knowing that he was Sam Hewitt. So therefore, my portray my like appreciation of him was biased by that fact. Yeah. But as a character, I feel like he was kind of harmless. He was definitely better than Nicholas, and I think probably better than um, Richard. definitely better than Richard in that he did. Well, have Richard more of, of the very basic piano skills did grade one and was like, there we go. Yeah, like his family connections, like his his like relationship with his father was all very kind of like was quite well drawn really so you know given the kind of movie so, wow was. we walked out of this thinking that Edvar's the best oh my gosh that's hilarious I mean Can I, I, see will, that one coming? I will say that really like none of them are people that you would want to end up with I, I would end up with Edvard he is sweet he is so sweet I think maybe yeah also Edvard, he knows Shakespeare he understands Shakespeare he does yeah because but I think the whole reason they made him Danish is to draw this like bizarre parallel with Hamlet oh my god yeah, but like it doesn't. The really prodigal make, son. It doesn't hugely make a lot of sense because obviously anyone who's actually read Hamlet or watched a play would know that like no one really would want to be dating. He Hamlet. doesn't go crazy and try yeah. and kill his uncle. So, but or yeah. no, successfully kill his uncle and his mom. No, he doesn't kill his mom. His uncle kills his mom. So that was our discussion about the uh, the princess movie genre. Yeah. Let us know if there's any princess movies that we've like missed out. That you that love. We somehow like don't know about. That you've been watch. like, excuse me, that is a seminal princess yeah, movie. Yeah, because like we would love to hear about. Yeah, that. and don't say Enchanted because it's not in the same category as this at all, and it is far superior to yeah, all no, of these I, films. It has to be. Like, princess Zara is too. Yeah, to be fair. this kind of genre that we're talking about. Oh my god, Enchanted! I go on about that for decades. <laughs> um, but yeah, and obviously you can catch with us as we said on at uh, on Twitter at real l l w. So three l's in the middle there. That often gets catches me out. Mm. Or um, you can email us. Uh, Love's labours watched, no punctuation, all lowercase at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, and that email is loaded onto my phone, so I will see your email if you email. <laughs> I will see it and I will reply. And as you know, we read them and like we maybe will read out your your thoughts. To make it funny and we'll read it out. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's well, that's our Christmas edition wrapped well, Christmas princess movie edition wrapped up. So Helena, what what cultural offerings other than the Christmas Prince have you been enjoying this week? Oh, well, Outlander, great this week. Mm. Great this week. Um, also enjoying, I'm still on the Amber Spyglass, um, but obviously I picked up, a, I kind of, I'm worried about finishing it because I know how it ends and it's sad, Philip mm. Pullman's Amber Spyglass. So I'm sort of just pushing through it and being like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Um, and I also, I'm going to start reading The Guest Cat, which is a short little novella by a Japanese author who I can't remember the name of now. And I think it's basically about a couple whose marriage is getting a bit boring and kind of waning a bit, and then this cat shows up in their house. It's in, it's, I think it's set in Tokyo, okay. I think. And the cat basically, like, kind of changes their lives for the better, I think. Mm. And apparently it's got... I, I keep hearing about it, actually. It popped up the other day. Someone be like, the guest cat was, like, such a seminal, like, sweet, kind of, like heartwarming book a la The Crane Wife by Patrick Ness and I was like oh so I picked that up um what have I watched recently there's my clock um in the end actually I'm very excited for Christmas mm. I can't I've been holding off on the cultural Christmas offerings like uh, The Winter Wonderlands um the Christmas music the Christmas movies you know Grinch uh The Grinch Elf a Home Alone 2 and Home Alone 2, the one with Donald Trump in it, all that kind of thing. Um, Christmas with the Cranks, all that kind of stuff. I've been holding off because I really want to get really into the meaty stuff of the Christmas mm. spirit. Tomorrow, December is when I can start. So other than that, I've been sort of working my way through the stuff I haven't finished yet, I would say. And yeah, what? Yeah, that's what I've been up to. How about you? Well, I recently saw the 
Northern Ballet's production of The Little Mermaid. So I saw this in Canterbury. Wow, um, that sounds awesome. Tour. So it's on tour across the UK. Um, and you and I have seen a few things by the Northern Ballet. Yeah, we saw The, the Great, Great Gatsby. Gatsby um, with the green light that none of us could see. Yeah, yeah. Weird, but yeah, we could see it. I think it was like our sort of cheap student tickets. But, um, <laughs> it was. Yeah, so they're well known, the Northern Ballet, for doing kind of modern modern ballet you know interpretations of kind of classic novels like i saw 1984 as well as a ballet um, yeah, yeah 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 so they do these kind of slightly unusual things and the little mermaid they they obviously it was the classic story that we know but they obviously were telling the hans christian anderson original rather than the disney version oh god the sad one which was quite funny because i went with my mum and she was like do you think you'll be okay because the little mermaid was my ultimate favorite when i was younger and yeah. i think she was worried i might be like emotionally scarred if i saw the sad <laughs> ending um but they actually they did it so beautifully like it was really you know glistening underwater sea world you know the you, the, the way that they portrayed via dance the idea how that they did they do so that she was a mermaid so when she would swim, like actually kind of, you know, move through the water, she would be lifted by people who were playing in the ocean. So oh. they would be wearing kind of blue, the costumes were beautiful, like, yeah. like blue shimmery sort of outfits and they would lift her and then she would kind of, you know, mime with her legs as if she were moving. Okay. Um, and the whole time she would always kind of be moving. So she would, she would always be, I suppose often ballet dancers are very like... Not, not stiff is not the word, but you know, they, they're very poised. Yeah. 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 But she would be very floaty and free. So okay. when she's living on earth with like Prince Eric, who was really good looking by the way, which definitely helped. Um, and we were on like the front row as well. So I was like, ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, and there was also kind of fun, like Celtic influences as well. Like, oh. So he was, he wore like a kilt and like, you know, they kind of had like Celtic, like sailor music. So, oh, so I did, it wasn't, it wasn't in France then it was in, no, I mean, it was unclear where it was supposed to be, but there was a kind of interesting amalgamation of like different oh. traditions. Um, so I really loved it. And the other kind of really interesting thing they did was um, they were telling the original story and in the original story, he doesn't realise that it's the Little Mermaid who saved him from the ship. Oh. He thinks it's someone else. And then that's someone else he actually marries. But in this, they did it very much that this other girl was really fun and like interesting and like her very much her own character. Oh, like, so she you, didn't steal him away in so much no, as... No, not at all. Like, and you actually kind of felt as if, oh, he should be with her and not with the mermaid, which is bizarre. Like, cause that's not what you're supposed to think, really. Um, well, maybe you are, I don't Does know. Does she lose her voice in the house? Goes in the house version. Yeah, well, I mean, she she basically has to die in order for things to return to normal. So it's quite dark. Why? Yeah, yeah. So at the end, she like becomes part of the sea. What? But why aren't things normal? What? What's, well, what happened? <laughs> do we want to go into it? No, 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 no. I'll ask you later. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. But so you can tell how I, I, I want to see this now. <laughs> yeah, really, really good production though. And I wouldn't say it was too dark because when we arrived, there were lots of children because we we're watching a matinee, and I was thinking like, oh gosh, they're going to be okay, you know. Um, uh, but it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't too scary. Yeah. You know? um, we have a great story about children being. What was it? The Lion the Witch Lion, and the, the Wardrobe. Yeah, which we is went quite to scary. see a play version of that. Yeah, and I think it was billed for children. Yeah, definitely. There were loads of kids there, um, and they. Yeah, like, it was obviously, like, very scary when but the witch a... tries to kill Aslan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so, like, she literally, like, kills him and, like, takes off all his hair. And it's yeah, very, like, it's very traumatic. traumatizing. And all the, like, scary animals are, yeah. like, around. And it's awful. And some kids were, like, sobbing. They ran out of the, the auditorium. <laughs> yeah, yeah did. and they didn't come back. And I was writing a review of it. And in the review, I was like, I really need to stress that I actually don't think this don't... is suitable for, for children under a certain age. Um, they literally sacrifice Aslan, like, Aslan. Oh, I think sometimes, like, you maybe don't remember 
like the detail of these things when you take like a child to see them. I think maybe that's what happened. Bridget, so I think, you know, honestly, like Beauty and the Beast, for example, as well, when I went to see that, it's very dark, especially the bit where like the Beast and Gaston fight. And in live action, it's even more like realistic. Yeah. So, you know, the Beast is like scrambling on the tiles, getting shot and Belle screaming. And this kid next to me was sobbing and oh, said gosh. to her mum, like, oh, you said this was a nice film. Oh no. <laughs> you said this was a nice film. And I was like, yes, stupid parent. Why on earth did you like bring your child what is actually a very dark film that's meant yeah. for the adults who enjoyed Beauty well, and the Beast in the first place? The Little Mermaid, if anybody is listening and thinking, maybe I will take my child to the Northern Ballet tour, I would say you're probably okay. Yeah. Because the way that she kind of, at the end is like you know absorbed into the sea well she was a mermaid to begin with so like it that doesn't feel too weird yeah Yeah. um and of course it's ballet as well so like you know you maybe as a child would not be 100 percent sure of like what was happening it sets you back from it a bit doesn't it yeah but it's absolutely stunning really really beautiful and i really enjoyed it so would recommend yeah um the other thing i watched recently which i hadn't seen before is paddington the first movie i hadn't seen the oh so the second one is like people love it people love it and I was talking about it to my friend Sabrina. Shout out to Sabrina. Hi, Sabrina. And she was like, oh, you should watch it. Like, you should watch it. So the other day, I watched the first film. And it is really sweet. You would love it. Okay. Yeah, because obviously, you know, it's, it's got that kind of, you know, it, it harks back to, like, Mary Poppins or Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Like, you know, these these old, like, family films that everyone loves. But it has this really modern message of, you know, Paddington as a refugee kind of being accepted into London. Oh. So it's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, like, because Paddington too, people literally have been like, so it's well. a masterpiece. Yeah, so and I finally like, want to see the second one. one. It's a whole lot of bear. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's done well in that, like, I thought that the sort of CGI bear would be a bit, like, jarring, but... Mm. No, it's it's really well done. It's got like Hugh Bonneville is the father. I like Hugh Bonneville. Um, Peter Capaldi is the kind of mean neighbor. Nicole Kidman is the villain. Like this is the first film, and I think oh. in the second film, Hugh Jack, oh no, Hugh Jackman, Hugh, Hugh Grant is the villain. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's a it's a very sweet film, um, and I'm kind of want to see the second one now. So is it on Netflix? Is it on Netflix? No. Damn it! I'm not gonna get to see it. No. I'll I'll find a way. Anyway, wow, and I think. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, like, like, next week trying to get all this kind of, like... The, I'm actually going to now watch Paddington and Paddington 2. I it's need to quite, get around to and it. And they're quite Christmassy. Um, yeah, so I imagine they kind so. Of, they kind of very much more fit in that, like, heartwarming. Oh, my gosh. Tis the season now of Love Actually. All oh, these yeah. Christmassy films. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should uh, cover some more Christmassy films. Oh, my God. Maybe we should. Yeah, that could be interesting. That would be interesting. Well, we'll keep you posted about what we're going to do next. I know we've, we're... Obviously, obviously, it's always a bit of a surprise, but... Hopefully it, you enjoy the surprise. And yeah, we can always recommend things to us as well. We, we're open to recommendations. Yeah, we are from anybody, no matter who they are. But... That's us done for this week. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And like, send us in your comments and you know where to find us. And happy December as well. Hope you have and a... happy St. Andrew's Day. It's actually St. Andrew's oh, of Day. Of course it is. Happy St. Andrew's Day. Yeah. We are... so all the honorary Scots. We are honorary Scots. I just yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. So have a nice one, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.